This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona, this is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. That's why this audience is gonna have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome to the War Room. It's Monday, May 22nd, year of our Lord, 2023. We're entering the fourth hour of War Room coverage today, but the news cycle shows no signs of slowing down. We may cut in the middle of this show uh, to what should be a press conference held by Kevin McCarthy. And after the show, I think there'll be another one uh, down at the Capitol. But in the meantime, even though Steve is not hosting today, but don't worry, he'll be back tomorrow starting at 10 a.m. We have a pretty full lineup of guests who want to cover a variety of issues. First and foremost, of course, the weaponization of our federal government. But before we get there, uh, I want to talk about another W, withdrawals, and frankly, how the Biden regime botched what happened in Afghanistan so poorly, and how, well, the State Department and Antony Blinken are really obstructing congressional Republicans' efforts to actually get to the bottom of it, which, of course, makes sense. They want to cover up, I wouldn't argue, for their own incompetency, but actually for their own intentional malice. But joining me to discuss is Representative Tim Burchett, one of my personal favorite war room guests. I think we should have him. Um, but there's been some back and forth, some reporting. It's sort of a, a developing story from what I understand uh, Representative McCall has said he will no longer fight to hold Secretary Blinken in contempt of Congress. But can you walk us through what the State Department has been doing under the direction of Blinken to obstruct you guys from being able to use some interesting cables when it comes to what exactly led to the debacle that occurred uh, on Afghanistan soil? Yeah, this is just completely botched is what you said it, from top to bottom i mean you know, let's go back a little bit and see what happened and i actually called for blinken's resignation in september all these new people they're doing it they're just johnny come lately as far as i'm concerned but <laughs> there were thir 13 americans who died and they shouldn't have on that when we were trying to get everybody out of, uh, of Af afghanistan um, one of those was uh, and i'm gonna call out his name is, is staff sergeant ryan canals he's a uh, his family are constituents of mine. I drive out every morning. The highway there is named after him. And um, he is uh, uh, was a hero, and he shouldn't have died. We had, um, it was just a completely botched thing. We were evacuating from the wrong areas. We left, um, let's see, I have it in my notes here, $7.2 billion worth of armament on the ground. So. We'll see those. We'll see those weapons again. I guarantee you, they'll be um, trying to kill Americans. And if this White House has its way, I suspect that that will that will come into play. But we um, we've been trying to just figure out what exactly happened because we had a Marine sniper who testified for our committee, and I asked him the question of um, you know where where were you and what was going on, and he told us that he was in fact he had talked to um, uh, his his superiors and I guess whoever at the State Department about taking out the, uh, uh, the, the bomber, 
the, the, the person who was going to the suicide bomber. And he, in fact, had identified this character more than once and was told more than once that he was to stand down, that he was not to take this guy out. And we're trying to, and of course, this White House and the rest of them are just playing the dodge game and they are not um, coming forth with anything. And um, it, it's just a complete tragic, tragedy from top to bottom. You know, the, the left wing um, State Department, uh, you know, the whole thing is ridiculous. I remember they said they, some of their excuses for leaving some of these billions of dollars of armaments on the ground was that that it's too technologically advanced for them to do anything with. They're not going to be able to do anything. But I'll tell you who who is technologically advanced are the Chinese. And I guarantee you before we were out of that last plane out of there that they were there. And we're still, it's reported, I should say, that for the record, that there's still Americans on the ground there. There are friends that we've left behind. And um, it just does not look good for this State Department or this White House and what they've done. And, and we've since... Um, you know, we've requested, Chairman McCall's requested um, some information from the State Department. And, and honestly, all they've given us is a heavily redacted um, form back. Uh, and it's just the arrogance that they that they exhibit is just continued on. I mean, you see it with the FBI, you see it with the State Department, um, and it just, just goes on and on. The epitome of America laughs. Before we talk about what you guys have been doing to get to the, the bottom of the FBI stonewalling of different documents, I'm just curious because this story came to my attention. There was an interesting Politico, I'd call it a puff piece, but profile on sort of this back and forth between your, your committee and the State Department. And their refrain is basically that the American people don't actually care about what happened in Afghanistan because it happened so long ago, which I think is an interesting narrative to push. Because meanwhile, the reason why it's taken you guys so long to get to the bottom of it is because the State Department isn't actually giving you any of the documents that you want. But putting that aside, you know, you obviously say you talk to your constituents a lot, some of whom were directly affected by Joe Biden's incompetence and really, I think, intentional destruction in Afghanistan. Do you think the American people have forgotten what happened in Afghanistan? In other words, do you think it's a political or politicized talking point that, you know, Republicans are pushing to demonstrate Joe Biden's really just inability to actually represent America on the world stage? I'd, I'd argue there's no shortage of incidents that that really footnote that statement. But do you agree with sort of the sentiment of the Politico piece? Well, I Americans want their pizzas in 30 minutes or less, and that's about our attention span, and I'm guilty of that as well. Um, but I think that it doesn't really matter if the American public is interested in, in it or not. That shouldn't be an excuse for not coming forward with any information. I think that, um, you know, we, we, need to, we need to know what went on. Those Americans should not have died. Somebody needs to be held accountable for that, and these families need to be... Um, they need some vindication in this, and they need some closure. And what they're getting right now out of this this um, administration is just stonewalling. So hopefully we'll get to the bottom of it, but I, I doubt we really will because of just their arrogance. And we're we're and sometimes I think in Congress we're a toothless tiger. We're going to write them a letter. That's what we always do. Let's write them a letter. You know, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Hey, will you, Birchett, will you sign on this letter with me? You know, and I. I just don't get caught up in that. You know what we ought to do? We are constitutionally 
we are this this government's checkbook. That's what we ought to start doing. We ought to start cutting their money, saying, hey, we're not going to put up with this State Department. Y'all don't want to play ball with us. We're not going to play ball with you. We're cutting you out of the pie and just start cutting their uh, cutting their money. That's how we and we could easily balance this budget. I guarantee you there's I mean, you look at there's more there's more people in the Department of Defense than are in our United States Navy, for goodness sakes. You know, let's if we're in charge, let's do something with it. These all these hearings we have kind of get boring, I think. And I think that's what the left understands. The public's going to get tired of it, just like they did those miserable January 6 hearings they had. They were tired of that in about 30 seconds. There's more people were watching the Cartoon Network than were reruns on the Cartoon Network, mind you, than were watching that stuff. And then that's what we're getting into. And they'll delay, 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 and then we'll lose interest. And then it doesn't show up on any of our polls. And then we leave those families hanging. And now, oddly enough, we're leaving Americans um, on the hook literally and figuratively in Afghanistan because there's still Americans over there. And before we let you go, because it seems like you have votes, if I'm not mistaken, to get to, uh, I'm just curious how you know we sort of link this to what's going on with the FBI, which is playing a similar game, and of course the DOJ, with the FD-1023 form, which has to do with the whistleblower who, says, who claims to have evidence of Joe Biden's direct involvement with some sort of foreign pay-for-play scheme. You're obviously in the business of defunding these agencies, these woke and weaponized agencies, as I think a lot of the war room posse is, too. Um, but how do we actually move forward? I know Republicans love their letters and white papers and strongly worded statements. But is there any effort, you know, I would say or, or legitimate effort to go after the FBI, to go after the State Department, yeah. to really get retribution for them not cooperating with you guys, or is it just going to kind of peter out? What yeah. do you think? If, if most most members say that, I wouldn't believe it. If Matt Gates or um, Jim Jordan say it, then I'd say it's a reality. And they're the ones who are saying it right now. That they're on the Judiciary Committee, and that's where I think it will originate. Jim Jordan is passionate about this, and there goes the buzzer for votes. Jim Jordan is passionate about this, and, uh, and as I am too, I've been talking about it for weeks, and he... Um, he addressed the conference last week and, ju and mentioned just that. And, you know, dadgummit, we ought, to, we ought to man up or woman up, as the case may be, excuse me. But we, we, we ought can to do say, it. You can say man up on War Room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, it I sounds know. like you got it. You got to go. So why don't you let us know yeah. where we can find you on social media and the website people can go to to support you. Well, there's a bunch of them, but at Tim Burchett is the cool one. That's where I, I let it all fly. And um, and that's my one I, I, I take most of my shots in. So and um, I'd appreciate anybody follow me on Twitter at, at Tim Burchett, T-I-M-B-U-R-C-H-E-T-T, -T -T, little at symbol, you know what that means. Anyway, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we will see you soon. I hope so. See you. Bye. Bye. Well, moving on, um, speaking of weaponization and our incompetent federal government, although they seem to be really good at targeting, I don't know, parents who are concerned about their children getting indoctrinated with radical critical race theory or teachers who want to turn your kid trans at age six. The FBI, that's what they're most concerned about. School shooters, the Chinese Communist Party, eh, they don't really care so much. Joining me now, I think, to discuss, I think via phone, is Steve Friend. You may have seen him in his really stunning jaw-dropping draw, 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 testimony uh, last week 
Uh, he testified in front of the House Judiciary Committee, the, the Weaponization Committee. He's a former FBI agent turned whistleblower. Uh, it's an honor to have you on the show, sir. Uh, I'd love for you to, as I, I was saying in, before we started, you've obviously done a lot of media now, and I feel like a lot of people have probably heard your story. Some of the crazy ones, you sitting in a parking lot having to write down uh, the license plate numbers of parents who are attending school board meetings while actively being turned off of cases dealing with child sex trafficking and child pornography really just, I think, gives you insight to the FBI. But if you just want to sort of walk us through, I really want to focus, at least in this interview, on how the FBI has sort of been astroturfing and artificially inflating this narrative that domestic extremism and white supremacy and racism and all of these words that they like to cobble together that are not rooted in reality, how they've sort of manufactured this false narrative. And then after that, if I kind of want to get into the bigger, more existential question, which is why are they doing this? What do you think their end game is? But you just want to walk us through what you saw when you were working there in terms of this fake, this feigned domestic extremism uh, crisis that we have on our hands. Yeah, yeah, I can work you through that. Uh, it's definitely uh, something that was already, I guess, in sort of play when I came on the Bureau in 2014. Uh, but I think if you just look back historically, uh, the mission creep that's come to pass since 9-11, uh, since when the National Security Branch uh, was high, was elevated to, uh, to something where it was going to receive massive amounts of funding. And then you pair that with something that I tried to bring out in the hearing, which is called Integrated Program Management. IPM, and uh, that is a uh, is a metric system the FBI started employing around 10 years ago, and it's a way for itself to budget essentially the crime that it hopes to prosecute or investigate uh, throughout each year around each one of the 56 field offices. So think of it kind of as as a Minority Report. We're going to predict crime uh, paired with Moneyball, where we're going to use the metrics to to measure it, and it it's. Uh, it's something that's caused a lot of problems, and, and I mean, I've been sort of typecast as January 6th being the, the issue that I brought forward, and that's true. But uh, January 6th is probably one of the worst and most egregious examples of how this system has bastardized the way that federal law enforcement is being done in this country. It's a symptom, not not really the cause. And I, I think that IPM really is the cause where they're attempting to show that they're successful and showing and justifying the funding that they receive uh, each year, and then these and these budgets keep growing and growing. And the way that they're demonstrating their effectiveness is by working smarter, not harder, figuring out ways to make the cases go up. So take January 6th off the table. Just imagine you have a case where there's a, there's a gang of four bank robbers or four, we'll even keep it terrorists. There's four potential domestic terrorists. You're investigating them. You can open up one case with uh, four bad guys, but instead the FBI is now opening up four cases with one bad guy, and that's the way you quadruple your output on paper. So I'm just curious, you know, obviously when we're talking about the FBI, there's a lot of thought, a lot of money, billions of dollars that goes into these decisions that are undergirding, right, what their priorities and what their main objectives are. So I'm just curious, and again, I, I guess this is speculation, you don't necessarily know the answer. But in your opinion, for for example, I'll draw the parallel. You know, when we see social media companies and news outlets try to crack down on the spread of misinformation or disinformation, we saw that during the election, 
that that basically had to mean that, that meant stifling the voices of conservatives who dared to speak out against election fraud, right? There was all, we, even though they used these broad euphemistic terms, there was always sort of a darker, much more politically motivated underbelly to these mass pushes, these drives, oftentimes for censorship. So from what you've seen, right, you're, you're a primary source. What do you think the, the end game is here? In other words, do you think the FBI is, has gone rogue? Do you think they're just, you know, fulfilling the political ambitions and ideological, really radical agendas of some of the people actually within the agency? Or do you think they're working in tandem with sort of this broader, you could call it the uniparty deep state push to really censor Americans and silence Americans who don't just take the state-sanctioned line on whatever the issue is, whether it's you know CRT in the classrooms, transgenderism, uh, election fraud doesn't exist. What do you think the bigger picture goal is here um, when it comes to the FBI? I don't think it's an if-but situation. I think it's an and-also mm-hmm. situation. I think you can look at the history of the FBI, and uh, it's really kind of extra-constitutional at best. It really wasn't uh, it's not you know, in, in our founding document. It sort of was just brought better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And then we'll write some laws after the fact, after it's already been established. It's very, very federal government-y of it. Um, and I think that you can make the argument that the FBI is not necessarily about preserving the Constitution and the rule of law. It's more about preserving the status quo of the ruling class. So look at the origins. That's the 30s, the 40s. In the 50s, and the sentiments in this country from the ruling elite was very anti-communist, and the FBI went after communists. So that's uh, that, and we, and I think look back on it historically and just assume that they were doing the bidding of, of America as I mean, we're a force for good. Uh, flash forward a little bit into into the 60s and civil rights movement, there was there were a lot of problems within our government that opposed the civil rights movement, and that's why you get a co-intel pro a situation where the FBI is essentially trying to encourage Martin Luther King to commit suicide. Uh, move forward more in, after the uh, after the attacks of September 11th, when national security was elevated, uh, and we, we go back to assuming the FBI is doing the bidding on behalf of America to fight terrorism. Uh, but if you ask a lot of uh, folks on the left back then, or even the Ron Paulites, uh, they were saying, well, no, the uh, the FBI is essentially entrapping uh, Muslim Americans who are not predisposed to commit acts of terror, and and uh, and they're now putting them in jail for no reason. Now we move ahead and uh, it's find ourselves in present day where our people in charge are radical left and uh, they have weaponized the FBI to do their bidding, which is going after their political enemies. And if you flash, if you look back to President Biden's speech in front of Independence Hall on September 1st of 2022, he identified MAGA Republicans as being anti-government extremists and radical ethnic extremists. And it's no surprise that two of the top four priorities within the national security branch for the within the FBI are those two categories. So it's essentially labeling his political enemies now as potential terrorists. I think it's like the Praetorian Guard analogy, or I guess the historical illusion that Steve always uses because we see the FBI, and you were talking about their roots, running cover for America's ruling class, which comes as no surprise. But I want to talk about how this dovetails really with election interference, because I think not only are we seeing that on full display when it comes to the FBI refusing stonewalling 
um, to give congressional Republicans the FD 1023 whistleblower form, um, which of course contains evidence likely of Joe Biden being involved in a foreign pay for play scheme. Um, but I also think it'll be interesting, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, how we're going to see the weaponization of the FBI really ramp up ahead of the 2024 election, specifically the presidential election. Obviously, we saw agencies like the DHS, like CISA, uh, really, I would argue, operate out of their already sort of nebulous, obtuse purview um, and get into the game of censoring online social media posts, specifically about election misinformation, disinformation, uh, whatever the term of the day may be. But in your opinion, again, obviously just speculation, but approaching the 2024 election, how do you think this fully woke and weaponized FBI um, is going to continue, or maybe you think they'll amplify their efforts to really influence the election? I, I think they have a tremendous amount of latitude, especially when they work hand in glove with the Department of Justice as far as pursuing one case over another. Um, and uh, I can just tell you that I, I, I didn't uh, have the opportunity to investigate any sort of election related crimes in my time in the FBI. But I do know people who do. And I talked to them and I was told that okay, going back to 2020, uh, a conversations were had nationwide in which the Department of Justice expressed to the investigators, the FBI agents, that they were not interested in pursuing any sort of uh, election interference crimes. The only sort of election-related issues they wanted to investigate were voter suppression. And that's, I think, a uh, just an indication of how they were going to use their prosecutorial discretion to uh, to target one side and not target another. And, and, uh, and that's an incredible problem, especially when we saw uh, so, such suspicious activity that happened in 2020. Um, I, I, and now you have the, the arm of federal law enforcement that's not even willing to take that up in any sort of uh, its capacity to investigate. And then, and then now take it into the social media sphere, which you just touched on. Um, and Miranda Devine last uh, September talked about the Bronze Griffin operation that the FBI has, where it essentially has a, uh, a confidential human source working within, within Meta and uh, is pulling out... Uh, out of context, direct messages and providing to them to to the FBI to essentially work backwards and obtain the necessary uh, search warrants or subpoena processes that they need to to get access to full conversations. And it's definitely in violation of the Fourth Amendment. And it's definitely selectively done. Um, and there are people who have now looked through private First Amendment protected speech and uh, have assessed that to be problematic and should be investigated by the federal government. And, and whether or not those individuals were doing anything nefarious is kind of irrelevant. The fact that, that the very program exists is going to tamp down free speech uh, on one side of the aisle without question. Got to let you go in a few minutes, Steve, but I have one last question for you. Trump obviously talks about dismantling and deconstructing the administrative state. We've had a lot of people on the show to discuss the concept of Schedule F, uh, you know, going after not just political appointees, obviously, but career appointees too. you know, actually putting sort of the policy framework behind the guideline of draining the swamp. I'm just curious from your perspective, when you talk about cleaning house, you know, at the FBI and actually getting institutional fundamental, systemic, all the adjectives, all that good change that is desperately needed. 
What do you think that actually looks like? In other words, would you have to clean house entirely? Is this just a leadership problem? How many people, you know, need to hear the words "you're fired"? Of course, from Trump um, and other, you know, to really clean up the FBI. Like you said, their original purview is sort of suspect to begin with. But setting that aside for a second. Um, how how massive do you think the problem is there? How deep does the rot go? Uh, I, there are a lot of good people who work at the FBI, but I fear that the, the infection is now so far along that it's beyond redemption. Um, and Republicans are, are always wary of any sort of defund the police label that they can have, and they need to, to shift the paradigm here and say, look, we're not interested in, uh, in any conversation about uh, ending federal law enforcement, but we want to empower local law enforcement. And that certainly is a very effective arm of the FBI. The FBI takes full advantage of local sheriff deputies and police officers who are detectives and experienced investigators and their agencies nominate them to receive a deputization as a task force officer within the FBI. And they do vital work. They're just as powerful and just as involved in the daily processes and investigations of the FBI as, as any other special agent is. And the added bonus is they have state arrest authority as well. Uh, I think that the, the way that we can resolve the situation is let's remove the 1811 designation, the criminal investigator, the armed criminal investigator that is within the FBI. If we want to keep the agency and not eliminate it entirely, fine, let's convert it to an MI5 model where it's a domestic intelligence agency for tactical purposes only, as opposed to just spying on American citizens, but take away its arrest powers. And instead, let's deputize locals who have the experience beyond just a 20-week crash course at Quantico and let them do the work that's going to most impact the main streets of their communities, be it state, local, or federal crimes that they can then bring to a U.S. attorney, uh, as opposed to the bidding of the political elite and the lobbyists on K Street. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. You are a true patriot and a hero, and I mean that with the utmost respect. If people want to follow you and stay tuned with what you're doing and support you, where can they go? Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Real Steve Friend. I'm a senior fellow at the Center for Renewing America. Uh, doing, they do some great work there. And I actually have a book on presale right now on Amazon. It's coming out June 13th. It's called True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. Uh, I would really like this to get to as many eyeballs as possible. Uh, and if anybody uh, feels compelled to maybe buy a second copy and send it to the Hoover Building as a gift to Christopher Ray, I'm sure he would really appreciate <laughs> learning about what's actually going on at the FBI. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us, Steve. And we'll be Thank back with much. Dave Walsh talking energy. I just have to say, though, our whistleblowers are so much better than theirs. Remember all the crazy globalist Democrats that were up during Trump's first impeachment? I take our whistleblowers any day. We'll be right back with Dave Walsh. Hang in there. In my younger days, I was a naval officer on a destroyer. In fact, I was the A-gang officer in charge of all the engineering systems that were not main propulsion. And one of those was air purification. And I can tell you, the standards of the United States Navy are second to none. If all home air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify the air on board our Navy ships? Because EnviroCleanse advanced mineral technology goes beyond ordinary HEPA filters to destroy airborne illness-causing cold and flu viruses, including COVID. EnviroCleanse is the new science in air purification, and now you can order one for your home. 
This is how you help stop colds and flus from taking your whole family down. This is how you destroy allergy and flaming toxins and mold from the air your family breathes. In fact, this hospital-grade technology is so powerful that it promises far fewer colds and allergies and better sleep. Visit ekpure.com. That's ekpure.com and use the code STEVE for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home purification unit. You also receive a free air quality monitor plus fast free shipping. That's $150 savings right there. That's ekpure.com, code STEVE. ekpure.com, code STEVE. For War Room veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in stream short supply across the United States. But you know that because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical, that's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a small retail business almost $80,000. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a manufacturing business nearly two hundred and fifty grand, And COVIDtaxrelief.org just got a large distribution business almost $900,000. If you run a business, church, or nonprofit and paid your employees through all or part of the pandemic, you could qualify for up to $26,000 per employee through the government's CARES Act. But beware of clickbait or pay upfront companies who make you do the work and take a huge percentage of your refund. COVIDtaxrelief.org receives a low reasonable commission only after you receive your refund. And with 300 CPAs and tax experts, no one is better at getting you the maximum benefit than COVIDtaxrelief.org. Visit COVIDtaxrelief.org now because this plan expires soon. That's COVIDtaxrelief.org, COVIDtaxrelief.org. The refund examples are not a guarantee and not all businesses qualify. That's why you have to check today with COVIDtaxrelief.org. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. 
still not Stephen K. Bannon. It's Natalie Winters filling in. But like I said, don't worry, he'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, we got a still have a full show packed for you. Uh, luckily, Dave Walsh joining us shortly to talk all things energy. And at some point, we may pull away because I believe uh, Speaker McCarthy will be holding a press conference about the negotiations um, on the debt ceiling, what he talked about with President Biden, and then he is set to have. After this show ends at 7 p.m., a more official press conference from the Capitol um, talking, I think, about the same stuff. But until then, we still have a lot of news to get to. seems like the Biden regime, it's hard to tell which issue they've screwed up the most royally. My money would be in for energy, specifically curtailing domestic energy production. Remember, I think it was his first day in office. He issued a slew of executive orders, basically kneecapping American energy production, I think at a level that it had never been seen before. That, of course, capped off by canceling the Keystone pipeline. And I think that energy is one of these areas that's very interesting because a lot of the business deals that Hunter Biden and many of his family members and his dozens of LLCs pursued and profited from had to do with energy, all forms of energy, coal, nuclear, green energy, lithium ba uh, battery, cars, you name it. So I think there's an interesting nexus there between why Joe Biden's energy policies are so America last. So really woefully America last, you can't even quite fathom it, you can't really make sense of it. But joining me to make sense of the craziness, if it's even possible, if anyone could do it, it's our next uh, energy secretary, Dave Walsh. I think he should be joining us now, but there's been a, some interesting uh, articles, uh, not just from the War Room or the National Pulse or Breitbart, but from the mainstream press talking about how some of the, the green energy, the green agenda policies being pushed by Joe Biden uh, really are going to leave Americans with severe energy shortages. Uh, one of the articles that you sent me from the Wall Street Journal the EPA threatens to turn out the lights. Its proposed power plant emission rule would destabilize the energy grid and end reliable electricity. I thought when people like you and I said that, that we were just crazy conspiracy theorists, but it looks like we've been proven right yet again for the, what is it, 120th time. Uh, if you could sort of walk us through specifically this article, and then we can get into what the Washington Post is saying as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Natalie, thanks for having me. The, uh, the op-ed was written by a former commissioner of FERC, the Federal Regulatory Commission for Power in the country, uh, about 20 years ago. Very articulate piece. Missed only one detail, but it was right on target. What we reported on the show here, the day of the release of the EPA's new mandate to either install carbon capture systems or B, convert to hydrogen fuel, all of our major coal and gas-fired power plants in the country by about 2035, which would cost about $3.2 a power plant times about 500 power plants plus of that kind of capacity would be over a, bit, a trillion five. The EPA reported, oh, this will only cost $10 billion. No, it would cost a trillion five if it were widely implemented, if anyone could afford to do it. So his article is right on target. This is, as we reported here, an attack directly on a full 62% of American electricity. 62% of the terawatt hours of power produced daily are from two-thirds from gas-fired, very advanced gas-fired combined cycle plants, or B, one-third from coal plants. 
which generate power all of the time, 24 hours a day, are on-demand baseload resources. And those plants, by the way, are about 75% of our continuous duty power. Those are the ones under specific attack by this promulgation of the EPA, which also is underpinned by new, new fears that now CO2 causes asthma, causes lung disease, causes lost injuries at workplaces. People can't come to work because of uh, uh, disease caused by CO2. This has never been stated before. CO2 has never been identified as a harmful pollutant. Yes, it has been associated by some with a theory of global warming, but not with, not with human damage. There are nitrous oxide, sulfur, uh, heavy particulate, mercury, heavy metals emissions are pollutants. CO2 has never been one. But this, this, it's been conflated this. And what this would do would, would have the effect of shutting down by lack of ability to comply with this massive cost of about $3.2 billion a plant to try to convert to these methods, most of them would shut down. We wind up in a time when we're talking about electrifying the nation by 50% more with an EV adoption program that's radical and through a conversion of home heating from gas to electric in the Northeast and Midwest, we'd need 55, 60% more power generation to accommodate these articulated administration needs. He's, he's taking specific actions to shut down our baseload continuous duty power at the same time. This is, this is incredible. And uh, there is a back channel story of the way utilities have seized on this already to massively profiteer from promoting the rapid installation of renewables to displace baseload generation resources, such as here in Florida with Nextera and other utilities across the country taking egregious advantage of this where they are in, in a rate base as generators, they make more money the faster they churn assets. So here in Florida, for example, we have just north of the studio in West Palm, the beautiful um, Riviera Beach power plant, 1,250 megawatts, absolutely state-of-the-art Siemens uh, gas to urban equipment just commissioned in 2014, massively efficient, massively clean, uh, the envy of China, uh, the kind of plant that is actually the envy of China. So if you go to why, you know, what the motivation behind a lot of this is, really, I think it's strongly origins from China to get these plants shut down because they they don't have efficient, clean plants such as the Riviera Beach Power Plant, the West County Energy Center, the uh, Okeechobee plant that FPL has, the variety of their plants are they're effectively brand new. And here they're talking about shuttering them to build huge, huge 1,200 square miles of solar in Florida at, at an enormous cost to ratepayers, something like $370 billion over the next 22 years to take advantage of the asset churn related to renewables. I subscribe to the axiom that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it seems like the Biden regime wants to both break it and then not fix it and make sure that the Chinese Communist Party profits from it. Right. Uh, you sent me another very interesting, very concerning article, too, which I want to hit before we get into some of the motivations behind this green energy push, because I'd argue it's never altruism that uh, motivates anyone on the left. But another headline, again, this is from The Washington Post. Fresh blackout threats emerge as power grid faces a stressful summer. Much of the country could be at risk of electricity shortages amid projections of an unusually hot summer. I'm yeah. sure we can blame climate change for that. 
Uh, but if you want to walk us through some of those figures and the elaborate detail you always do, I'm sure the audience would appreciate that. Well, we have known known electricity electricity shortage, not not just not grid issues. They a little bit misstate that. It's actually the shortage of power generation, shortage of power plants running all the time. Wind and solar don't run all the time. They run very part-time. So already in Texas, in California, we have mass shortages and chronically announced brownouts and service curtailments in the summer and spring. That added to that, the MISO, which is the upper Midwest and the PJM region, which is Pennsylvania, Maryland, Eastern Ohio, all of that PJM plus MISO are about 25, 28 states have also announced that they've already got severe energy shortages related directly to the premature shutdown over the last six years of enormous number of continuous duty coal plants in all of those states, the shutdown of some gas plants and the displacement of a lot of that capacity with wind that works only 37% of the time and therefore doesn't work 63% of the time. So the, there are enormous shortages uh, burgeoning. We had in North Carolina, Tennessee over Christmas for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day announced by the utilities. Shortages not of the, T and the transmission system, but the generation plants aren't sufficient to generate enough electricity anymore to meet the coldest days in the winter because of, for example, in North Carolina, the massive adoption over the past 10 years of solar only as most of the new generation capacity by Duke Energy up there. And that works up there about, about five hours a day and doesn't operate 19 hours a day. Of course, at night it operates nada. So you wonder why is there a shortage of electricity? It's not the it's not the transmission of it that's in short supply. It's basically the the because of these renewables that are very very part time and by the way very intermittent. We're lacking enough generation of electricity now. It's a, it's a huge huge problem with reliability in the system across the country across the country. So the article is correct, but it doesn't quite pin down the why. The why is we've installed for ten years now, and now we're going to go on a massive binge the next ten years based on the incentives provided for it for much, much more intermittent, part-time, partially useful generation sources displacing full-time ones, being wind and solar. It, it, this is a horrendous issue. We, we need to stop incentivizing things that work part of the time and actually incentivize things that run full-time to provide on-demand electricity. That is, when you hit the start button of a power plant, you're going to get electricity within minutes of that. That's called on-demand. You don't get that with the nature-based resources. You get it when nature allows it, which again, solar usually about 18% of the time, wind about 37 offshore, maybe 42% of the time, but the reciprocal is time, all dead time. So the investments in it are very costly, very, very, very costly when you factor down the very limited power supply they provide. I think the efforts, frankly, to, to crash the U.S. currency are very similar to what you're seeing going on here. In other words, that it's intentional. They want to, I'm going to use a word from the lexicon of the World Economic Forum, they want to reset the way that we do things to push a certain agenda. But I'm just curious, my background obviously is an investigative reporter on Chinese Communist Party infiltration, and I know how they pay off a bunch of journalists here to spread nice pro-CCP stories about why China's our friend and our ally and all the backroom deals. But a lot of the think tanks that they give money to, right, the Atlantic Council, Brookings, really all of these groups, these are also some of the groups that are at the forefront of this climate change movement, right? Obviously, the people quite literally on the forefront are the crazy people my age who are protesting and throwing paint on beautiful sculptures and, and paintings. 
But if you get to the sort of the ideological drivers of the movement, right, this think tank, I would argue that they've largely been co-opted by the Chinese Communist Party, who is, of course, I'd argue the largest beneficiary of America transitioning to green energy, not just because it tanks our economy and our ability to be an effective, productive country, uh, but also because they quite they have monopolies on all the rare rare earth minerals that we need for the batteries yeah. for these electric cars, right? You can kind of list chapter and verse all the ways that it benefits them. You used to work in the energy industry. So I think we sort of complement each other's knowledge in answering this question. But when it comes to the drivers, the motivators behind this green energy push, you know, who are who are the key players? In other words, if you had to sort of apportion it out, do you really think that China and the Chinese Communist Party is really pushing this drive or, or who are some of the the other bad actors involved in this really descent to hell? Well, I do think they're heavily involved in it. And, and I'll tell you why. I was the head of the China Joint Ventures in Westinghouse. We were a partner with the largest turbine companies in China. I was the uh, vice chairman back in the late 90s. Um, they, they are and remain massively envious. An area of huge competitive advantage we have over here is the fact of natural gas and then the fact of highly advanced gas turbine power plants that are on the order of 64% thermally efficient, extremely clean, and run very clean natural gas, such as the one I mentioned down by West Palm Beach is an example of them. We've got about 550 of those kinds of plants in the country. China doesn't have that technology. They don't have it for a couple of reasons. One was they always lack natural gas supply. Well, unfortunately, guess what? That's just been solved with their alliance with Putin. When the pipelines are built, they will now be flush with piped in, which is the cheapest way to get it, natural gas. Uh, but point two, um, a lot of the advanced gas turbine technology of the blade path of a super advanced gas turbine, which is really a scaled up huge jet engine, do come from F-16, F-35 type of similar technology that, that Siemens, GE, Mitsubishi have never been permitted to pass to the Chinese appropriately. And therefore, they've lacked the technology to get into this space. Um, and they're massively envious of it. And because large frame gas turbines in combined cycle plants provide this country an enormous low cost energy advantage over what they have industrially, militarily for the production of equipment, for the production of armaments, of machine tool, everything, cars, cheap electricity means, means economic competitiveness. They, they haven't had that level of, uh, of machinery making electricity at the efficiency we do and the low cost we do. Therefore, they've been massively envious. Therefore, they've pushed very strongly monetized programs to push their lithium ion batteries, their thin film PV, uh, the electric car emission, and the CO2 mantra to try to detach us from our ginormous advantage economically of this terrific natural gas resource we have and are using through tremendous German, Japanese, Mitsubishi, German Siemens, American GE, gas turbine technology to produce massively cheap electricity. That's an advantage we have that they don't, that they'd like to crush. They'd like to crush that. And when Biden comes along with these programs to decarbonize all these plants with carbon capture that's unaffordable, he's, he's, he's doing that. And I'm, I'm arguing for them. They're, they're, they're way behind this because the, the benefit of these solar farms and battery storage, 80% of the value added comes from China in, the, in these facilities. Of course they're pushing it, but they get a, they get a, two, a twofer in winning. 
One is the destruction of our robust energy sector, but the second is a massive balance of trade pickup further by being the exporter of all of the uh, lithium uh, uh, ion batteries and all of the thin film PV for solar. So, and now that we got more products coming along, he's mandating uh, distribution transformers be amorphous core transformers. That's a specialized winding of uh, metallurgical steel that only comes from China. Biden administration has now mandated that's what we need to use exclusively for distribution transformers. That's an entirely China sourced item. So here's yet another commodity has hit the, the Biden hit list from China. Uh, this is, uh, they're, they're too involved in this to be to deny it. Every aspect of this they're benefiting from. I remember when the critiques, gosh, I was not that old, but you know, just a decade ago it was mainly focused on big government and overregulation and big government sucks. But it seems like now we've, we've hit the day where it, it's not even necessarily that the issue is big government. It's the issue that our government is actually quite literally being weaponized against us. And I, I think the two guests who preceded you really underscored that point, but it's really concerning to see it happen on the energy front too. Um, so if you could just walk us through one more time, because I think a lot of these these stories, when we talk about them, got a few minutes before I got to let you go. Um, you know, we're called conspiracy theorists, we're called crazy people, we're peddling disinformation. But all, all of this when it comes to energy, the, the food supply, um, stuff that directly impacts national security. Um, you know, when Joe Biden says that these claims are unfounded and that the policies that he's pushing are directly supporting the Chinese Communist Party, it, it seems sort of preposterous because the, the policies that he is pushing for, there's no proven track record that they were. And the only actual recipient of, of any benefit are Chinese companies. So your theory of the case is someone who really has seen this world from a lot of different vantage points. And you know, you obviously share that expertise with War Room. What do you think really is, is driving the Biden regime? Is it an ideological capture that these people just think green energy is the way of the future? It's the same people who won't have children because they don't want to you know, add to their carbon footprint? Or do you think it's a personnel compromise that people who are pushing these policies are deeply in bed uh, financially or otherwise with the Chinese Communist Party? I think, you know, it's not limited to the administration. Um, we, we also have huge businesses over here, very wedded to Chinese supply chains, such as in Florida, Florida Power and Light, Nextera. You know, all of the solar panels, they've, uh, again, I said, they have a plan to erect 1,200 square miles of solar panels in this state in the next 22 years at a cost of about $120 billion of rate increases to customers here, 80% of which will come from China. Yes, they've got a small factory in Jacksonville. It, it will do assembly of, I, I think, about 80, 20% of the value added of otherwise Chinese imported uh, thin film PV panels that will come in there and probably have frames put on them or something and then be transshipped to sites. So companies have been uh, badly bought into this also. Um, but no, this is so, it is so pervasive across so many product areas of all of these policies. They're a major appliance maker. So when you talk about converting gas to electric, they benefit. These transformers, distribution transformers, amorphous core cores, they make 85% of them in the world. The administration's uh, energy department has just mandated the use of them. EVs, 
you know, Tesla does about 80 billion a year. The Chinese collective industry manufacturing EVs does 200 billion a year. So their goal and objective ultimately certainly is to send batteries over here inside of the cars they make. And already the and Dave, batteries- Dave, hang, hang on. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's not the CCP or the Biden regime we're up against time. So I'm sure we'll have you back on later this week to, to pick up on that point. But if and people I, want to stay in touch with you and follow you, where can they find you? Find me on Getter at Dave Walsh Energy and Truth Social the same. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, Warren Posse, for tuning in. I know I'm no Steve, but I try my best. Like I said, he'll be back at 10 a.m. Keep in mind, you can find me on Twitter at Natalie G. Winters and go to the warroom.org website to keep up with the latest breaking news. We got a story about how Joe Biden's HHS secretary is actually going to help the World Health Organization plan its pandemic treatment. Talk about collusion. Have a good night. Natalie Winters out. Folks, let me tell you about Solti. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. WARROOMHEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.